A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at uh1.com. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds. And they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction. And free shipping. And that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements, featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. Hey, y'all. Welcome back to a... Wednesday, June seventh, twenty twenty three edition here on the Chase Thomas Podcast. Fun show for you guys today because it is Wednesday. You know what that means? That means college football expert knower, fellow University of Notre Dame alumni Matt Green is here to talk all things college football on this uh, edition of the program. Uh, we talk about the Vols' rough week in recruiting. Um, Sammy Brown not going to Georgia. Ended up at Clemson. Uh, a lot on Clemson and their big hot streak in recruiting um, just all across the board, big wideouts and what that means actually for this program. And what those are two gigantic uh, pulls for Dabo's Tigers. We talk about the blue chip ratio rankings that are now out. So uh, shout out to Bud Elliott, 247 Sports, putting those out uh, this week. So the 16 teams that can win the college football playoff this year because they have enough blue chippers to do so so we talk about a lot of those different teams we talk about the wild cards and texas a&m and oregon the long shots and florida and auburn um why oregon is probably the best sleeper pick of the bunch people overlooking michigan um once again after back-to-back cfp appearances um alabama where they're at with a 90% blue chip ratio, all that and more with fellow University of North Georgia alumni, Matt Green. We also got a uh, first timer, Tony Morrell, to talk about uh, South Carolina football. Uh, Tony is of uh, thebigspur.com, so go check that out today if you have not already. Great conversation recruiting Spencer Rattler, Daniel Hill, Dylan Stewart, um, Shane Beamer versus Josh Heupel, what's real, what's not. Um, where this class is looking for the Gamecocks. Uh, looks like it's going to be a pretty strong class for Beamer's bunch here in 2024. Um, we talk about the big uh, offensive coordinator change from Marcus Satterfield to Dow Loggins um, taking over this year. Uh, the tough schedule, if they're an SEC East dark horse, all that and more coming up with Tony as well. So jam-packed college football show for you guys today here on the Chase Thomas Podcast, the Chase Thomas Podcast Network, CTPN, um, Sports Renaissance Man, all that good stuff here. Uh, on the program as always folks uh, you can also watch this very show on youtube go to youtube.com slash chase thomas podcast like and subscribe uh, as we inch ever so closely to that thousand uh, sub mark on youtube we're like less than 20 away so that's good we're almost there um, so help get us there today if you can if you want to watch these programs instead of just listening to them so a lot of ways to 
join the show, be a part of the show. That's one of them. And uh, yeah, if you're a new subscriber, don't forget, or a new listener, I should say. Firstly, thank you for uh, checking out the show. And if you could, and you enjoyed today's program, hit that pause button, subscribe, so that you never miss a future episode, new episodes daily, as we cover it all here on this very show. And then if you are a already subscriber to the Chase Most Podcast and you haven't already done so, please, please, please hit that pause button as well and leave this show a five-star rating and a review on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. If that's how you are indeed listening to this very show. Uh, it helps other people find the show and it helps this very show continue to grow. So if you could do that today, that would be awesome. And I would just be so grateful if you could take care of that today. Um, that's it for announcements and all that good stuff, but fun show for you guys today. All college football, full ride, South Carolina, all kinds of fun. Uncle Darren, let's go. Chase Thomas podcast. The Chase Thomas podcast. Um, my nephew needs me to record. See, I hate. I already hate it. I hate it. All right, hello, and welcome back to another episode of the Chase Thomas podcast, where I'm still the aforementioned Chase Thomas coming to you live from Knoxville, Tennessee. Everything School HQ. Where look, I, we can say everything School HQ. It's all good and well. Um, I sent you Matt Green, fellow University of North Georgia alumni, uh, here on the pod. I sent you that tweet um, from earlier today from No, what was it, Reddit CFB about Tennessee and Arkansas being the only uh, one of only two schools in uh, FB, I guess not even FBS, just the Power Five and beyond um, to make the postseason in uh, the men's basketball baseball and football um uh, both uh the last two years um i believe and so that that's nice mac green but i don't have my my usual blustering in- energy right now when it comes to tennessee athletics because i'm kind of annoyed uh mac green i mean Uh-oh. obviously tennessee lady balls they make it to the final four here so shout out to them getting to the final four in the college world series for softball that's always a good achievement. Oklahoma is just uh, a unbelievable juggernaut machine when it comes to uh, lady softball. Like they're just uh, an absolute force of nature. But there's some other stuff going on, like Tennessee baseball, obviously making it through the regionals, taking down Clemson, um, who was the host team um, in one of the best college baseball games you'll ever see, and just baseball in general on Saturday night that went. 14, 15 innings, and it was just like Tennessee got out of a bases loaded, no outs jam with the game on the line, the bottom 10th or 11th or whatever it was. And the game had it all. It was almost five hours long. Like I was emotionally spent um, over the weekend just getting through this um, and Tennessee making it, making it out of there. And then you're just like, oh, it's just Penn and Southern Miss ready to go here. Because Auburn got eliminated in two games in their regional, and that was where Tennessee was matched up in their bracket. And they proceed like we were just like hey i get to go see tennessee one more time at home tennessee baseball like that's obvious like they're not gonna not host uh southern miss or uh pen in the super regionals not so fast my friend uh tennessee is going to hattiesburg um and what is a very controversial decision and guess what it's the weather report is in hattiesburg rain all weekend which they could have looked at Beautiful so how do they determine that? I saw I saw something about Indiana State too releasing a statement, and they couldn't be the host because of like some sort of special Olympics deal or something. I guess happening in in, in Terre Haute, Indiana. But so it's not just like a seed thing. Like it's 
it's what what how, what goes into the decision making well it is seed thing if they're different so if it's like a one and a two seed both advance if like a two seed advances in one side of the bracket and a one seed advances in the other then the one seed obviously keeps going but tennessee and southern myth are, southern miss are both two seeds so there has to be there's a committee involved so they get together and they decide who ends up being the host team and no one Is really knows like what goes into deciding, it deciding they're not deciding like resume like okay they're both two seeds but let's see who's more deserving or something well it's that's like, the whole thing is like rpi everything else there's nothing statistical that would lend itself to putting it in southern miss southern miss is not better anywhere in Tennessee like it's not one of those where you can even really parse through it and you're like okay if I squint a little bit I can see why you would give Southern Miss the nod here there's just nothing you could do um outside of there being something else at play here which is um some backroom politics which is the 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 not even rumor just the informed takes <laughs> here in Knoxville is that there are other uh, reasons as to why Tennessee is not hosting uh this uh-oh. weekend so we're fired up about that, but I mean, it's probably going to light these guys uh, up that they don't uh, get to host here in the Super Regional to make it to the College World Series. And look, I I feel bad for the Southern Miss Golden Eagles because I really want to kick the crap out of it. Like, I am so annoyed about this predicament. And I was like fuming. I was telling my wife, I'm like, I'm just, I'm so fired up about this. I'm so annoyed because I was just ready to go and us be in the building for that this weekend to get back to the College World Series or how this season has gone. And then to just do this, and you're like, this is so stupid. I cannot believe this happened. It's so Tennessee not to be able to host this. And then J.J. Harold decommits the, which was kind of rumored for the last couple of months, the four-star wide receiver out of Mississippi. It looks like he's going to end up at Ole Miss. So he was always going to be a hard one to keep uh, from Lane Kiffin and company down there. And then Sammy Brown commits to uh, Clemson out of nowhere. And then Cam Fountain, who seemed like he was the four-star, the one out of him, Cam Franklin and Williams Winery um, of the three major targets for Tennessee and Rodney Garner, like he was probably the most likely. And then he commits to USC out of nowhere, um, which caught a lot of folks by surprise. So it's just been like bang, bang, bang. I just, I've been taking a lot of shots this week, Matt Green. And look, it's still like Tennessee comes in SMP plus in the top six for this year. Tennessee basketball is a preseason top five team now going into next year you look at tennessee baseball they're now in position to and they still have the fifth best odds to win the college world series this year in a down year they have the number one 2024 recruiting class like there's still a lot of positives there's still positives everywhere you look i'm a pretty positive person in general matt green but like it it, it hurt a little bit this week the recruit the recruiting like there was a part of me that i was like it's feeling a little dan mulaney to me right now butch jones got a couple back-to-back top five classes this is uh you're going to have to start closing here a little bit, Hypo and company. Like, you can't be the favorite or lead for a lot of these dudes, and then it just not happened. It happened last year with Francis Maui Goa and a couple other guys where it's like, Carnell Tate, you're leading for these five-star difference makers for a while, and then bam. No points for second place. You don't. Recruiting's a vicious bu- business. It's a vicious cycle. There's a lot of, um, <laughs> there's a lot of competition for the, these guys, but it was just kind of one of those, it's been one of those weeks where I'm like, this can't you you got to close like there's a lot more pressure on how tennessee does over the next two months um than there was uh just a week ago so i'm very hopeful still but like they're gonna have to close they're gonna have to have a really good june and july because that's when recruiting happens now like it's just gonna be a very tense june and july here on rocky top because if they fall they don't build off what they had last year and they fall with like a top 12 13 class 
it's not going to go over well. Um, and it's just one of those where you're like, that, that can't happen. Matt Green, how are yeah, you? Yeah, I think... <laughs> I think that'll that that will say a lot. That was uh, obviously a lot that you said there, but um, I think the folks in Athens, Georgia, you know, they're feeling really bad about this this bad week that that they're having up on Rocky Top. Um, really, really feeling sorry for you guys. So I uh, couldn't happen to a better bunch. Um, but mm. I will say, um, yeah, I think that could be a concern, you know, for the the Hapel era if there isn't that 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 boost in recruiting and that's that was always my kind of red flag when it came to Dan Mullen is that we never saw that 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 boost because Butch Jones had that 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 pop class that was like top five or something one of his his first couple years there so it's like that's just typically what happens with a young you know energetic like coach like that's bringing especially when you got the on-field results to back up too so like if they end up like a top 11, 12 class and you and you see Florida jump in there, finish like eighth or ninth, like that's that's the kind of thing that could be concerning if you're a Tennessee fan. I mean, Florida's ahead of them right now, and I think Florida will end up with a better class than Tennessee. I think the bigger yeah. issue is like if South Carolina ends up with a better class, if Auburn ends up with a better class. If... Oh, that's like a that's like a sound the alarm. Like mm. that's that's real serious. So I don't I don't see anything like that happening, especially like Tennessee in the NIL game and all that. People talk about like they're one of the the biggest teams around when it comes to that or whatever their budget is. I'm not sure who comes up with these numbers. But so, I mean, I would be shocked if some, if they're anywhere lower than like, I mean, 14, 15, like that would be, that would be like worst case scenario. And it would South Carolina's best case scenario even be that high. South Carolina looks like they're going to be a border 10, top 10 class this year. Cam Pringle, they got two stud offensive tackles. They're leading for Daniel Hill. It looks like four star running back out of Alabama. I mean, I think South Carolina is doing pretty, pretty well with this class and there's talent in South Carolina and Beamer's a good recruiter. So it's not like, like I think that's one of his best assets. Is like I do think he's a good recruiter and a good CEO type, and I think uh, gets a lot of buy-in. There's a lot of Butch vibes um, with Shane Beamer, um, with his kind of demeanor and approach to things. So I would not be surprised if South Carolina had finished with a better class in Tennessee this year. Wouldn't surprise I, me. I would like to know like what the consensus of the Butch Jones era, like the consensus in Knoxville, is of the Butch Jones era because. He's, you know, there's like, there's certain athletes, like, like maybe like a Russell Westbrook, or like a Dwight Howard or something that like become punchlines, like by the time their career's over. But like, so people kind of forget like what the greatness actually was like in the, in their prime, not saying Butch Jones was a hall of fame, great coach or anything, but like he had, he did a lot of things right for Tennessee. He really it felt like he got rattled by the pressure, you know, it was like, it was as soon as like the reporter started asking tough questions. He's like, "What's your problem? They're like, what, what, what are we trying to do here? We trying to we trying to bring Tennessee down? We trying to build them up? Like, what's what's going on here?" And it felt like it just, I mean, but I mean, if if it was just the pressure, you'd think he would have resurfaced somewhere and had success, and he hasn't hasn't really done that necessarily. But I feel like I don't I don't know. It's like it's like he got broken by that job. It was uh, he he did a lot of good things for Tennessee. It was like. It was like he he kind of brought them back to like a respectable level. Like he got he got them Nike jerseys. Honestly, if if, if nothing else, that's his legacy. Bringing Tennessee to Nike. Yeah, there you go. I mean, <laughs> I think most people are 
fond of the early years because he like i don't think people realize just how bad Derek dooley really screwed things up and like just how bad some of those guys like he had a year where he didn't take an offensive lineman matt green like <laughs> i don't think you understand just how bad it was um in that regard so i think people are pretty grateful he brought in a bunch of talent obviously early on he won a lot early on and like you said it just it was not going to last um, I don't think he had the personality to last long term. Uh, there were some insecurities there, it seemed like, from the outside. But, um, and obviously it didn't end well, and you lose to Vanderbilt, and you kind of crumble uh, to Florida in really excruciating ways. So it was just uh, a hodgepodge uh, of things. What was Butch Jones' like specialty? Was he a defensive guy, offensive guy? I think do he was you, defensive, you, I could be wrong. Um, because it's interesting that they, I mean, they, they did essentially fire him to hire Greg Schiano, right? Like, mm. that was the decision they made until all the pushback, and then they went with Pruitt. So he was they, an offensive guy. He was an offensive guy. Yeah. So I guess that, so that speaks to it. I'm thinking that's usually how teams do it. You had the offensive guy, didn't work out, then you went to the defensive guy. Then mm. that didn't work out, you went back to Hypo, the offensive guy. Like, it typically seems just kind of how teams do it, so... Yeah, not this is this is a Butch Jones podcast, but uh, I don't know. He wasn't he wasn't all bad. He was not all bad, and uh, yeah, I mean, no, he was not all bad. But right now, that 2022 class, which it's not Heupel's fault of what he walked into, it was 23rd overall last year. Was 20 or excuse me, last year was I think uh, 11 overall. Um, after it was all said and done, and I'm doing based on 247 Sports. And then number and where they sit right now, funny enough, they are number ten with South Carolina right behind them at number eleven, and that's with Alabama here at thirteen, Florida at fourteen, and USC at twenty-one. So those are in Miami at twenty-seven. So those are teams that do not have a lot of recruits yet that could absolutely rise at the board. So Tennessee, like they have to be careful. Like you have eleven commits here, you are right there on that top ten border, but it's like the. Uh, it's not the Dan Mullen thing yet, but you need at least, I'm not saying you have to go top five every year, but you need a top five class in one of these first three to four year cycles to kind of solidify where you're, where you are in the pecking order. Cause it just, it won't be enough to make this sustainable. But also this goes back to what Graham Coffey and I talked about where it's like, I don't know if that's like a huge issue because like Hypel won so much with so little early on that the floor is really high where it's like Hypo can win with less. Hypo doesn't need the five-star receiver to succeed. He can, he can make it work. Sound a lot like those Gator fans under Dan Mullen right now. I'm not just it, but what I'm saying is like, I think there is some truth to that, but it, it also comes back. There is a point, like there's a tipping point where it's like the defensive line, and the offensive line. You saw that in the trenches against Georgia. You saw it. Um, you, you'll see it against Alabama. You'll see it against Ohio state. And we'll talk about some of those other teams that were, it's just very obvious um, where those are but i don't know you have to land your fair share of these blue chippers and we'll talk about blue chippers because that's the theme of this particular show here matt green um uh, but before we get into that uh your green line stat of the week i'm going to assume it's how many days until college football sir uh that is indeed the case um also are you a are you a braves are you a watch a watch like on delay kind of guy or something like do you like if I spoiled the Braves for you right now, would you would would that would you be like, oh no, I'm watching it later? Are you that kind of guy? 
Uh, in general, yes, but because today was a rain delay forever, that I like I I xed out. Like any long term rain okay. delay, the day the day's over for that game. Like I've I've xed it out of my unless it's like a playoff game, obviously. But like, gotcha. no, it's, it's out. Uh, big six inning though, so Braves took the lead. But um, I was thinking, um, you're a you're a Tennessee guy now. You know, you've lost your you've lost your Georgia roots. You may have Georgia roots, but you're one of them now. Mm-hmm. Um. MLB, if they expand to Nashville, are you going to be a Braves fan or are you going to be a Nashville fan? No, I would still be Braves. I would not. No, 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 no. But I will say if they bring back on the flip side, if the Atlanta, if Atlanta gets a hockey team again and they put in that for Scythe window, I would not. I've watched the Preds and I've kind of like I do the Preds power hour. I've adjusted. I've blend like I've joined the Preds community here. Like mm. I, I enjoy watching Preds games. Well, were, so you were you a Thrashers fan like at the time? What? Who is? Who was a Thrashers? Okay, fan? that's. But I mean, some people were. Some people. Yeah. So like some people had the gear. So you were never. You never had an allegiance. No. That you shifted. Right. Probably like maybe how I'm a Hawks fan. You like, oh, are they playing? I'm gonna root for them more than any other team. I guess and they made the playoffs but... what once their entire tenure uh, in Atlanta. I, I think couldn't is what even I was. tell you. Um, it just wasn't. Yeah, believe in Blue Land. I remember that pretty well. But no, I wasn't like a. I gotta watch the Thrashers tonight. So it wasn't. Was it just... wasn't that. But what I'm saying is like, if they bring it back and they're successful and they bring like it works the third time's a charm in Atlanta with the NHL. I would still not move on. Like I, I like yeah. watching the Preds. I'm here and Preds. Yeah. That's actually the only hockey uh, arena I've ever been to. Um, and speaking of the Nashville. Preds, the Atlanta Gladiators are now the affiliate, the AHL affiliate of the Preds. So it oh, worked there out. There you go. There yeah. you go. There's a connection. But yeah, I saw it was like Portland, Vegas, Nashville, mm. Charlotte. One more. Uh, I think Montreal. Mm. But uh, I was uh, that got me thinking. You being a Tennessee guy. Um, We'll see. Preds, I, I yes. Wonder, so NHL, but Braves now. Like I kind of wonder how they decide that. Like if, like the Houston Texans, you know, I guess they had some Oilers fan, like Oilers fans. You can't be a Titans fan at that point, right? Or you just this this teamless fan, like you just like the NFL. Did you start to like the Cowboys at that point? Probably not. If you were an Oilers fan for years, and then. I bet you a I lot of people went to Tennessee. Texans. I guarantee you a lot of Houston fans. Just I don't know, the man. If, the team, if they take my team, I'm gonna, it's gonna be hard for me to like continue to root for that team. Like you mm. guys moved out. Like I hate you now. You know what I mean? Like there's no way people in Seattle like the Thunder, right? Like they have to hate the Thunder, especially since they've been a good franchise. Like that could be all su- Seattle success, you know. It's a good question. I don't know. I'm sure every fan's different. I'm sure there are some who are like, I love Westbrook and Durant. Like, I'm not just going to stop watching and rooting for these guys that I got to watch early on. No, I'm going to keep rooting for them. Maybe after did they, they I don't think Westbrook ever played in Seattle, though, did he? I know Kevin. Yeah. I, Kadia the one year. Did Russell never? I don't think, I don't think Westbrook ever had. I guess but he yeah. Regardless. Um, but, yeah, we are green line, side of the week, 87. We are 87 days till college football season, sir. And um, in honor of that, um, 87 career touchdown passes to mm. a tongue of Iowa, Chad Henney, Desmond Ritter, as well as not a, not a friend of the pod, but a, f- a friend of a listener of the pod, Nick Mullins, uh, Southern Miss, mm. uh, also 87 career touchdown passes. So, uh, yeah, a little shout out there. Nick Mullins. I had a little cup of coffee, right? San Francisco. He won some games. Did he? Yeah, 
I think everyone so, I think, wins games in the Shanahan scheme. I think, yeah, I was about to say anyone can win games in San Francisco. Um, speaking of anyone being able to do anything, when you're the Georgia Bulldogs, you can do just about anything except get Sammy Brown, five-star Ooh. linebacker from Jefferson in the boat. There are some limitations to to the dogs. When you accumulate so much linebacker talent, you finally find out just how much talent is too much talent to just keep this conveyor belt going. Um, Sammy Brown to Clemson. Not only Sammy Brown, you get, like, I think we should just combine. Well, here, how does this affect Georgia? And then we'll talk about what Clemson has done this week as a whole. How surprised were you that Brown did not end up at Georgia? And why should Georgia fans not fret about the kid who uh, lives 30, 20, 30 minutes down there at Jefferson from Athens, was local, went up by all accounts all the time, was favored for Georgia for a long time. Obviously, Georgia's put so many linebackers in the NFL um of late that there's not really a better spot um for sammy brown you would think but was it do you think just playing time access to getting on the field anytime soon and then also are georgia fans going to be okay with who's already in that room going forward so i'm not gonna go shock jock on you and say sammy brown's afraid of the competition you know he wasn't even a take for georgia you know <laughs> all, all of that message board stuff you see but i think i mean it's not to say he's afraid of the competition, but I mean, you look at the depth chart and you are making a business decision. And the, 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 the place that was quicker to playing time was definitely Clemson. Like you, Mm. for, I, well, for, for one, I, I've also heard his family was like Clemson fans, like growing up or something like that. So I think they had a a lead there and I, I showed you the hats, right? The hat science. Mm-hmm. Oh, the hat science, it was it was obvious, like two or three days before. Like the Tennessee and Oklahoma hat were just like super plain with just the logo and the Clemson looked like some some specialty hat like hat he got at Lids or something with a giant uh, paw print on it. Um, hat science doesn't fail in the in the recruiting process. But um yeah, I think as far as like Georgia obviously wanted Sammy Brown. They just want to load up, get as many studs as they can get on their team but i think um you look at the last or just on currently on the roster or in the last two recruiting classes both both georgia and clemson in three recruiting classes ago essentially got two highly ranked linebackers that are both their current starters that are probably both going to go to the nfl early and jeremiah trotter jr and barrett carter for clemson and then jamon dumas johnson and and smile mondon for georgia so Outside of obviously they're not going to be on the uh, same Brown's not going to be playing in 2023. So when he comes in next year, Clemson will have ha- will have zero other inside linebackers that were top hundred recruits on their roster. Right? Georgia will have five. So just that right there, like Xavier Sori was a five star that's like now just starting to maybe get be that third or fourth inside linebacker. And and you've seen you know the 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 three true freshmen that they're going to bring in this year, like three of the top, like five or six inside linebackers in the country. So I think it's not to say Georgia didn't want him, but like, or as a Georgia fan, I didn't want them to sign a, a five-star dude from Jefferson. But in terms of like the five stars that I'm like disappointed that Georgia didn't get like from the state of Georgia, he might be like near the bottom of the list just because like we're loaded to that group. Like I just, you got, um, I think Demarcus Riddick, if I'm saying mm-hmm. that name right, uh, committed for this class, who's a I think a five star by some people. Yeah, two four seven has him as a five star. 
and there's there's questions about how how solid his commitment is um but so that would be really big if they miss out on sammy brown and then get a decommitment but yeah i mean i think if you're a georgia fan you can't really be too too bummed like yeah it's a big time get for clemson so it's not to minimize it or anything but it's um it's not going to be the reason georgia doesn't sign a, a big time class by any means like you look at their class right now like I mean, especially in terms of why shouldn't Georgia fans worry? Because they just signed, they just got Justin Green's commit at a Mountain View, who's like a top hundred uh, defensive lineman. So it's just, I think Georgia now has got like ten top one hundred commits. Like their overall like twenty four seven composite ranking is equal to basically equal to what Oregon and Tennessee signed last year. That were the ninth and tenth ranked classes in college football. They both had 26 and 29 commits in that cla- in those classes. Georgia's sitting at that same score with 17 right now and with a number one class. So I think, uh, you know, I think you're not going to get everybody, especially with how loaded the state of Georgia is. And you still got three of the top five players in the state uh, uncommitted, even though Mike Matthews doesn't look like – it doesn't really look like Georgia's in a good position with him. But, you know, who knows? A couple of Buford guys, too. Georgia doesn't have the most – the history of the most success uh, getting guys from Buford, but uh, we'll see. This class, is, it's going to be ridiculous regardless of who they end up signing. Like, it's going to probably end up being the number one class in the country. It certainly seems that way. It could still end up being the best class of all time. Like, there's still a lot of time. I yeah. mean, I shouldn't say that. So a lot of folks are like, don't forget. It's like most recruiting's done now in July. Like, most of the class is complete here this summer. So the summer is actually the time you need to be paying most attention to uh, what your team's doing um, in the modern recruiting cycle. It's not the fall. It's not winter time or around then. No, it's it's around now to July. That uh, yeah, <clears throat> and Georgia especially, like all the classes under Kirby are like at this point in July, they're usually sitting at like nine or ten commits, but they have a really high average. And you're like, oh, but once the commits start coming in, they'll be at the top. But it they typically around the summer they're not that loaded. So for them mm. already this early to have so much like hay in the barn, if you will, like it's it's pretty dangerous. Like Justin Fields, like that class was the first class that was ranked number one that Kirby signed and like Fields committed in like October or something. Like mm. it was like and then they all started coming in in November and December. So it's like now they already they already have them and it feels like with i don't know if it's nil or something but it i think you we we spoke about it a few weeks ago or maybe it was when you talked with graham harrell or graham harrell graham (laughs) coffee um it just it doesn't feel like there's as many commit uh decommits these days as as there once was yeah i mean because a lot of it i'm sure is nil related where they're locked in and it's just it it's a lot I feel like it's a lot more complicated to uh, to jump out of it and start the whole process over, jump around the NIL game and, and that sort of thing. And also being worried about your spot um, because spots are so fluid and that those spots could just be gone and then you can just be left behind in the dust. So, yeah, I don't envy the situation a lot of these kids find themselves in because it's, I imagine, very stressful also for their parents. Um, that being said, huge week overall. For Clemson recruiting um Dabo has really turned on the Jets this week because you get Bryant Wesco who's probably the best uh recruit uh five, like outside of it's like it's either him Matthews Wingo um between Bryant Wesco and the three of them 62170 Jeremiah four, Smith Jeremiah Smith too excuse me like yeah, the ones he, who I are think available. he's out there oh yeah. okay yeah um Jeremiah Smith too I just kind of like he's just the Ohio State guy um but 
You get Wesco out of Texas. Top receivers, I hear you. Yeah, and TJ Moore, wide receiver out of Tampa, another four-star. And this is something we talked about where the last couple of years, one of the under-talked about things with Clemson, Matt Green, that you and I have talked about in this very program is like, where are the T. Higgins? Where mm-hmm. are the Amari Rogers? Where are just the kind of guys that were forgotten with the Trevor Lawrence, Deshaun Watson years, where it's like they had a lot of big-time players out wide. They had skill position talent. It Mike wasn't Williams. just – Yeah, and Williams. Like Mike Williams, like, there was just a lot of dudes to go along with their five-star quarterback who could do it all. And they haven't had that the last couple of years. And I think DJ Uangale really suffered in that regard where if you look at the roster, it's like, okay, it's Will Shipley and where else? Like what else are you looking at that really scared defenses? John and you, Ross was yeah. like – or Justin Ross Justin was Ross. like nothing after his freshman year really with the injuries and yeah. really the same. So they just never had the dudes out wide that scared uh, opposing defenses all that much. So it was it was just a different situation. Now you get those two in the boat and Sammy Brown obviously at linebacker and suddenly you're just – you're cooking with something here. It's, a, it's an impressive week I think by and large for Dabo and his crew. Yeah, without a doubt. I mean, this guy, I think I think the composite is a four-star, but I think 24-7 rankings have him as the ninth overall player. Like, mm. this super big time. We just talked about Sammy Brown yesterday, and now um, Bryant Wesco, and then who was the other receiver, TJ Moore, mm-hmm. uh, both committed today. Like, that's three of the top four commits in their entire class uh, that just hopped on board in the last two days. So, I, I'm not sure where they were before those rankings, but now they're uh, before those commits. But now they're sitting at the eighth class and in, uh, in the 24/7 rankings. And a lot of movement uh, still to be done there because I think they have. Let's see here. Yeah, they only have what 11 hard commits to this point, so they still have a lot of room to to move around because like they quietly haven't had a top 10 class in the last couple of years. Um, so Dabo has to when you're not utilizing the portal, which is yeah. something Dabo has not done you have to win in the recruiting uh, battles again that they have not really done um, the last couple of years. So I'm very curious to see if they end up with a top 10, top five-ish class because I think they actually sneakily need it more than many people might yeah, think. Yeah, and that's what makes you wonder like how sustainable kind of their their uh, organization is. Like I'm not trying – I'm trying to the, – the tenure because the era of like the – I guess the reign of obviously going to all the college football playoffs, like that's obviously over, but you know, their window isn't necessarily closed. If they, they bounce back, you know, they're still a really good program, but Mm. it it makes you wonder if they, if it really was just like a perfect storm for these handful of years that, cause it wasn't like huge classes then either. They had some like 17, 18 player classes that just hit on everybody. Like, so they didn't, it didn't look like they were, like recruiting elite because they'd have like the ninth or 10th ranked class, but it'd have like four or five, five stars in it, you know, and it would just, it would be small, but like uh, the quality over the quantity. And, and you just, recruiting is such a numbers game. You just have to get as many guys and hope as many as possible pan out. So, you know, you're not, you're not seeing that with the last few classes Clemson's had. So I think there's a, there's a lot of pressure on, on what Clemson's going to be this year. 
Yeah, eleven and ten the last two cycles. So you gotta you gotta jump back in uh, a little bit higher up. I mean, obviously they still kind of hit the five stars with Cade, DJ. They're gonna keep getting the five star quarterback. But yeah, then there's the there's the DJU. There's the the, the five star quarterback that doesn't pan out. You know, they they had Deshaun Watson, and Trevor Lawrence back to back, and it, it doesn't always go that well. No, it does not. Um, but we'll see what they look like. I'm very fascinated to see what Clemson looks like this year because I think they're sitting back enjoying all the Florida State CFP bus before the year where they're like, can Florida State beat us? Can Florida State uh, cross that bridge before uh, you write us off forever? Um, that the reign, of t- the reign of Clemson dominance is over. I am like, that's the circle. That's a top five game this year um, here in college football, right? Like Clemson, the orange State. and purple reign. Oh, yeah. Did- I know, I know a newspaper somewhere had to use that, uh, had to use that headline. I can't be the first one to think of that. Matt Green, 16 teams made Bud Elliott's um, blue chip ratio this year. Um, so the 16 teams who can actually win a national title, it's one of my favorite things to parse through each and every year here. Uh, yes. You skipping the, the, the last topic we got here? Are you just jumping in straight to the blue chip? Oh, I was jumping in straight to this first. I'm okay. jumping into this first. Hey, this is um, your show, man. Uh, no, it's it's all good. It's I'm all just good. glad to be here. Matt <laughs> <laughs> uh, going through the Rolodex as we're going. I love it. Um, well, you throw, you throw me off my show sheet, man. I'm sorry. Giving the giving the viewer listeners a peek behind the curtain. Yeah, um, we do have a show sheet, and it's. Uh, it's a it's a fun experience um putting it all together each week um but matt green there were a lot of different things i wanted to get to here and i want to run through quickly the 16 teams that made this list and look folks this doesn't mean that it is and but elliot does a great job of explaining like what goes into this how the ratio works it's not super complicated but it is important because it just it's a good measure of whether or not you can win the national title because as he uh, even puts at the history um, in 2022, Georgia took home the title with a 77% ratio 2021. They had an 80% um, beating the number one team in BCR that year. Uh, Three of the four playoff teams in 2021 uh, were BCR teams. And Cincinnati was actually the first non blue chip ratio team to make the playoff since 2017 but you keep going back alabama lsu clemson alabama clemson alabama ohio state florida state alabama all over 50 percent in that ratio so it's not an exact science but it is a tell as to whether or not your team has enough blue chippers and again this does not mean you can only teams with blue chippers and five stars and all five stars and four stars work out. What it means is you have to like over the couple year time span of when you cover this and what years this, it, this covers up until 2023, you, there's just, you have to have enough dudes to win the title. You just do like, you have to have enough, like you will have, they're like, Oh, well, what about Mac Jones? He was a three-star quarterback, blah, blah, blah. It's like, well, yeah. And then there were also, 27 four and five stars that were also extremely important to what Alabama was doing and that's where people overlook it where they like to point out the the anomalies the guys who weren't the three and four stars where it's like it's not only the 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 supremely talented guys um as to whether or not you win that there are some dudes who play above 
the ring is the best example of this. Stetson Bennett, obviously. Um, I don't know if you heard this or not, but he walked on at Georgia, Matt Green. He was, he was a former walk-on. Uh, is that the, right? Yeah, Stetson Bennett, former okay. walk-on. I heard um, he used to wear a U.S. Postal Service hat, and mm-hmm. that's why they call him the mailman. Have you ever heard that fun fact? I had not. Did you know Hendon Hooker and Joe Milton were roommates <laughs> last year? They're pretty also, good friends. Also, Jake Fromm was in the Lily World Series. I don't know if you heard that either. I, 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 I'd heard some things. Um, but here are the teams. Let's run it down. And I think this is just it, – it's just interesting, I think, to think about because some of these teams in this list are like, man, could you talk yourself into them? Because we're going to get into it. The number one. 90%, which is just bonkers. 80% George when they won in 2021, blue chip ratio. Bama's at 90. Ohio State at 85%. Um, and this is, again, the blue chip ratio is the teams who have signed more blue chip recruits than non over the last four classes. So dating back to what, I guess 2020 um, to 2023. Here, Georgia, 77%. Texas A&M, 73%. Clemson, 72%. Um, LSU, 71%. Texas, 70%. Oklahoma, 70%. Oregon, 67%. Notre Dame, 65%. Florida, 64%. Miami, 61%. Penn State, 55%. Michigan, 54%. Um, USC, 52 and Auburn 51 and just for the Tennessee fans listening to this they're like just outside so they'll probably be in there uh going into mm. into next year because they're right there at the 49 percent I know how ratio. you like to prematurely celebrate things um what do what do we do do we just cancel the season or like Florida State uh Tennessee North Carolina they just they, we just shouldn't play this year it's just they're not Well it's funny win. you say that cuz he mentions Florida State a lot here cuz like they're the best test case for this year because there's a lot of CFP buzz for Florida State and they obviously have the great quarterbacks they have a great running back in Benson they have a top 5 uh potential pick in Jared Verse at edge like they have a lot of top end talent but what but Elliot makes note of in the piece is that like we're gonna see if those guys are enough to get them over the hump because it's not everywhere they've killed it in the portal too we should mention but by and large they don't have the depth that the other big dogs like Ohio State Georgia and Alabama and LSU have at just across their roster as a whole they have a lot of great top end talent but by and large, they still are not quite there in terms of depth all across the board as the other big dogs. So they're the biggest test case this year, I think. I think um, you see there's one new team on here from last year. Mm. There's only like Other than that, it's the exact same 15 teams as it was mm. a year ago. Um, you think you can guess uh, the one new team to this list? The one new team to this list, I will say... It should be kind of obvious. The one of uh, USC? USC, yeah, yeah. That's the only one in here. It um I think this not to not to make this uh, conversation completely about something completely different, but this list right here, I feel like is why is the problem I have with the twelve team playoff. It's because we are gonna we're going in this and Bud Elliott's telling you since 2012, 2011, however back far however far back his data goes, you had to be in the blue chip ratio to win the national championship. No team outside of it has won a national championship. So it's not even like all 16 of these teams are gonna be good, but 
these are the only teams that we feel like as college football fans would like not lose our mind if they these teams won the national mm. championship. You know, it's like, yeah, Michigan, I didn't expect that, but it makes sense. Oregon, I didn't expect that, but it you would it's not that crazy. Mm. So if we feel like there's like sixteen championship level programs, and obviously Tennessee, we say what you want, seventeen, um, Florida State eighteen. We got twelve of them making the playoff just right off the jump, just like <laughs> Three, two thirds of the of the actual reasonable championship contenders are just going to make the playoff every year. I feel like that that's like the one problem I have. That's like the, the thing that like hits me when just seeing all these this graphic with all these programs. It's like, yeah, those are the teams. Like those are all the teams that can ever win national championships. Essentially, it is interesting because that was something I was thinking about too. Of just that like when people are talking about like, oh, what it's going to be for parody and uh, like getting UCF in there. Getting, it's like, that's not where the parody will come. The parody's going to come with like the 60% blue chippers who won a national title. Like the, uh, I guess the best example, like Oregon, like you mentioned right there in the middle, like it's the middle blue chip ratio teams that could go on a run and we'll have the depth and we'll be able to do it where it's like in past, it's like if you're Bama, Ohio state, Georgia with that kind of ratio, it's almost impossible for you not to be in that final two, but there's going to be way more volatility in that final four, final two matchups because it's only going to be featuring a lot of blue chip teams with pretty even rosters by and large that asking the 90, 87% blue chip ratio teams to be able to beat a 61%, a 70% and then a 80% all in succession, it's going to be pretty unlikely. So you won't see an SMU or whoever win a national hey, somebody's title. Somebody's got to win the games, though. Right. Somebody's it's just going to be. It, there's going to be parity with the traditional teams. That makes sense. Where it's like, I think you're going to not have the Bamas and the Georgias win over and over again. I think you're going to see once every three years, like Penn State win or something. I'm not saying they do it every three years, but I'm saying you're going to have one of those teams who are in that ratio who are just going to sneak into the playoff but they actually sneakily have a lot of talent and will have more talent than maybe the team they face in the first two rounds, make it through that. And then who knows what happens because there might be an upset with the Alabama or Georgia in the first round. Like, you know what I mean? Like there's just going to be those teams that win. And at the end of the year, we're going to do this podcast and we're gonna be like, well, yeah, they weren't the best team. They just kind of like, we're going to have this. Yeah. I just want the SEC haters out there to just be ready for what's going to happen. Like you thought you hated the SEC right now. They get two teams in a four team playoff. Like, no, it's the year where it's going to be like a, not a, not specifically this team, but like 2019 Florida, like they lost to LSU. They, they played LSU in the swamp, like probably better than anyone else did that year when they won the national championship. They lost to like a Georgia team that was top five and going to the SEC championship it's like that team gets in the playoff as like an eight or nine seed or something, and they're dangerous. And so you see that two or three loss SEC team that's like a, an eight, nine seed go run through the national championship, like a, a Kimball Walker, UConn team or something. They're battle tested throughout the season and they get hot at the right time. Like that's when the SEC like flexing is going to be at its hardest, when the, when the third best team in the SEC goes and wins a national championship. That's fair. That is fair. Um, well, But back to your blue chip ratio. Well, I mean, this is how we get it. I have a lot of questions for you. Your favorite wild card team here to win the national title, who can base in the blue chip ratio from this list for you, Matt Green? 
Um, I feel like Texas is the one that everyone's going to say. Um, but I don't know. It's like, I just, how many times have we done this with Texas? Mm. I feel like I'm just, that, that's like the history is, it, recent history is what's like preventing me from going all in on Texas and getting Alabama on the schedule isn't, isn't a great start either. But I kind of, I feel like Oregon is the team to me mm. that's like, Bo Nix could be like that superstar level player that like kind of elevates his team to a national championship. Like, I don't know that he's going to be that good, but when just kind of seeing those teams that are at this in the sixties and fifties, like they, there seems like a flaw with, with a lot of them And Oregon, I think there's something year two, you know, a big year two head coach guy. Like they were good year one. Dan Lanning is, is recruiting. Well, like I think they surprised some people in year one kind of fell off um, at the end of the year, but I don't know. I think Oregon's really dangerous. I like the Oregon pick. Um, they're right up there for me. They were one, two here in terms of biggest wild card. I think the other one, it's gotta be A and M, where yeah, they just have so much talent. Uh, they're they're loaded in the trenches. They're loaded at receiver. It, Bob Petrino is allowed to just call this offense the way he wants to call it. I kind of outlined last week on last week's show about AM and how good they sneakily were on defense, especially their pass defense, the best in the SEC. When they won, they were holding opponents to, I think, 11 points per game. Like, I think the defense is just going to be good. Like, I would be very surprised if their defense is not elite in the SEC. If Jim Poach just hands the keys over to Bob Petrino, there's a path. Like, we forget that AM were very very close just a couple years ago to making the playoff Mm -hmm. like they have the talent they could they get alabama at home they can make the playoff by not even winning the west they sneak in at like 11 and 1 10 and 2 or whatever have a great resume they win at tennessee they there's just there's a path to them sneaking in as like that second team who missed the the title game and then who knows what happens if you just put them in there to if by petrino's offense is elite and their defense is elite this that and the other I think they are the biggest wild card team to me because if you told me that Jimbo is just lets Bobby Trina do, do what he wants to do, the defense is elite, the offense is top fifteen, top ten in scoring, that wouldn't surprise me. Like a ten and two, eleven and one AM season would not surprise me this year. That's... But it also wouldn't surprise me if they go five and seven again. And it's just an absolute dumpster fire. Like they have that crazy volatility. They're they're just the Charlie Kelly of the SEC. They're the wild card bitches. Like I, I have no idea, no idea. Oh man, they wish they were Charlie Kelly. But um, that's a great call. Be also because of like how many teams on this list they also impact. Like mm-hmm. they're just like the ultimate wild card. Like they they impact Alabama's chances, LSU, mm-hmm. Auburn, even Miami's on their schedule. So yeah, like if they're an actual elite team, which you know, I feel like they, like you said, a lot of signs are pointing to that. Like they, they should be good. Like I just said that we've done this with Texas over and over again. Like, I feel like people are saying we've done this with A&M over and over again, but it's not like this to the same extent, right? Mm-hmm. It's like, there's been those couple of years where yeah, A&M is, is underperformed. A lot of that was under Kevin Sumlin too, but I think uh, A&M is definitely a dangerous team, but like, think about what you just said if Jimbo hands Petrino the keys, like mm-hmm. 
can you can we go back in the time machine? What was the biggest criticism of Kirby Smart when Todd Monken was hired? Like, is that not exactly what everybody said? You know? Yeah. Oh, if Kirby Smart gets out of the way of Todd Monken, like, it was, I honestly I think it was dumb when people said it then because obviously Kirby Smart hired Todd Monken to do a job. I don't think you bring in Bobby Petrino and then are like, but you're running my stuff, Bobby. It's like, no, your stuff's scoring 21 points against, I, I don't even know, like some garbage team they were playing early in the season. They didn't, they basically didn't score over the 20s like all season. But I think, uh, I think you're going to see a huge improvement uh, on the offense just from Bobby Petrino alone. And like you said, with the talent they've got on defense, like defense was not the problem last year. No, and I think it's funny too because it's all team by team. Because remember, like you hear the the pods about Alabama, it's like Nick Saban's. It's the Nick Saban offense, and that guys come in, and, um, they learn the Nick Saban offense, and um, that was part of the disconnect I think between Saban and Kiffin was that like Saban would get frustrated with what Kiffin wanted to do, and when you watch Lane Kiffin's old Miss teams, it's not exactly what you're seeing uh, with Alabama a little bit. So I am very curious to see what that looks like because it's just so funny because it's like if you just give by Petrino the keys your defense is already elite you're an ace recruiter you have the class you have the depth that like everywhere see what happens like it shouldn't be this complicated it's like an ego thing it's just like let by Petrino one of the best offensive minds uh the sports seen in the last 20 years just handle the offense and uh see what happens the biggest long shot um my two here i went back and forth is usc and florida i think florida is the biggest long shot usc what out of that list to win the national title yeah Yeah. i just yeah you think usc is more of a long shot than miami yeah because at least miami i think miami you could see the defense you could see the defense being a little bit better you could see the offense maybe figuring it out i don't know like miami's a long shot too but i just don't think usc is going to have anywhere close to the defense necessary to win two playoff games ever if if i'm t- if i'm putting in a, a bet for it to win a national championship with these 16 teams like i'm probably picking usc ahead of like half of them to be really? honest like i mean over florida auburn Miami, like Notre Dame, like do we do we really think Notre Dame, like from what they showed under Marcus Freeman last year, it's year two. Is I gotta I gotta show love to a year two head coach. Like they could be better, but like like do we do we think they're gonna be better than Brian Kelly's Notre Dame? Like Marcus Freeman's his own guy. He's been recruiting a little bit better uh, since he took over, but Brian Kelly's one of the best coaches in college football. So it's hard to think Notre Dame's gonna be better than that. Like I was hyping up Penn State on this podcast a week ago but i think we know what's on Penn. like penn state's got two giant roadblocks on their schedule that are on this list in michigan and ohio state so penn state's road is very difficult as well like usc oregon's the only other pac-12 team i guess you do have notre dame on the schedule as well but there's i mean we think the pac-12 is going to be better but I mean, year one under Lincoln Riley, they were in the Pac-12 championship. Like, I think they're, I think they're a short list contender. Like, I think they're a much more serious contender. Oklahoma is another one I would include that I'm taking USC over <clears throat> all day. Just like oh, Lincoln no. Riley, I'm taking USC over Oklahoma. A healthy Dylan Gabriel, that defense is even half as, uh, just halfway decent next year when the Big 12 and with their group. I've, I've at least seen it. USC, I have never seen. 
and I just don't trust this defense whatsoever. That defense was awful, and you get matched up against like the. I just don't see a path of them beating Oregon and or Utah in the Pac-12 title game, and then beating two different powerhouses where they're not going to have the talent. They're just going to get out physical by any of those SEC schools and or um, a Texas and or a don't sleep on those Washington Huskies, sir. Yeah, I mean Washington too. We'll see. They're also not in the ratio though. Uh, no. Washington not make Oregon guys. State Beavers aren't in the ratio either. No. Um, but hey, TCU isn't either, and they uh, made the national title game. So who is to say that that's not the case? I'm just going to go as a whole, though. TCU and Cincinnati, are those the only ones? Um, I think so. To make the playoff and the not be it? Uh, I don't Washington, know, do we, I don't think did either. When Michigan State there. or something, maybe? Michigan State, yeah, too. But it's just, that's the thing is you can make it, you're just not going to win it. Um, does it count if you if if you've made the playoff but you never scored a point? Does it count as <laughs> as a playoff appearance? I think it still counts. I think Florida did Washington just, score. Yes, and no Michigan State got shut out. I'm thinking Washington. No, it may have Washington been like twenty one zero or something. No, Washington scored. Um, because I I remember yeah twenty four seven twenty four seven. Gotcha. Yeah. Um, shout out to Jake Browning, Washington legend. Uh, Cody Pickett, let's name some guys. Uh, <laughs> when it comes, though, to this one, I just think it's Florida. And I think if I'm a Florida fan, I'm just... You remember how we talked about... Florida's what? As the biggest long shot of this list, okay. where I'm like, you're just throwing money away if you pick Florida to win the national title based on this list. Um, obviously, maybe Graham Mertz is Joe Burrow. Maybe that's the case. I, I'm just not going to go ahead and bet on that one. And year two, we love the year two coaches in this program, but... I just think if I'm a Florida fan, this is why it just, it's so, it's got to be so frustrating because you have the urban years, which I'm excited for that documentary on Netflix if that's happening, Swamp Kings. Oh, yeah. Um, you have the Spurrier years, right? And then everything else, if you're our age, everything else has sucked. But the talent has been there. Like, the talent is never a problem. They are going to be in this blue chip ratio until we are long gone, Matt Green. And, it, well, also McIlwain won the East twice. Like, yeah. Mullen had, like, three good years. So, like, they, it's been some good years. It's but just, it's not. It's been some bad years, too. Players want to go to Florida. There's so much talent in Florida. Like, you're, you should be in the CFP conversation every single year at Florida. But that's just not Florida. They can't do it. For whatever reason, it takes like a the ultimate special all-time great coach to come in there, offensive mind to come in there and just be one of the most fun teams in the sport for a brief amount of time. I guess very obviously not brief, but yeah, and like, like brief. how me and my brother used to talk about Florida. It was just like, they're, they're so cool too. Mm-hmm. It's just like, God, they get just like the best players and <laughs> they just have like, they have a confidence. Like there's just like a, a swagger that Florida had. It was like, what is, what is going on here? We're, we're, we're not getting as good of players and we're like more undisciplined. Like what is going on here? Like this is just, it's, it's like, uh, you were the Ron Burgundy meltdown. Where he's just like, she's better than me. You know, <laughs> just like, it was frustrating. You just look at urban Meyer, what he was doing there. And you're just like, Oh man, Florida is just like so much better. Like I don't really remember the, the Spurrier domination. You know, like I knew mm. that Georgia didn't beat, Florida basically in the nineties. I do remember the Mike Bobo, the one win, but like I didn't really have to live through that as like a child in single digits. So, but the urban years, it's like Rick did beat him one time, but 
it was just like Florida was just operating at a different level than Georgia at, at that time in history. So now it's it's just Florida. You're not used to Florida not being cool. You know, mm. it's like IMG Academy now, like this huge powerhouse football factory is existing. I don't know, an hour away from Gainesville, like in it might it may as well not even exist for for florida uh, football it's like everyone else around the country is just poaching guys out of the state of florida and, and just so many of them are either the ones that do stay in state or lots of times going to miami and then uh, a lot of them are going to alabama and georgia and clemson yeah and i just think you think about it ron zook will must champ Obviously, Will Muschamp was like a celebrated hire at the time where it was like, wow, we got him. We pulled him out of Texas. Like, this is a yeah. humongous get. Doesn't work at all. Like, it just, it's one of those weird, it's the weirdest job. I think you could, you could sell me on the weirdest good job in college football is Florida because there's really no excuse for it not to work year over year and them not to be a top five program year over year. But they're not. And they're not again this year. They're not going to be next year. They're just, it's, it's just mind-boggling we don't know about how far down the line because florida does have a ceiling that that feels about as high as everybody else anyone else's ceiling you know so i would say they're right like when you're talking about like the the worst good job it's just it's hard not to look at auburn as another one on the list because just Mm. all of the inherent disadvantages that come with like florida is the biggest university in the state right right there in the middle so like obviously you got miami and florida state but it feels like Florida is still kind of like the school, the, the, the state school, right? Mm. I mean, I guess UCF has as many school students as anybody, but Auburn is like playing second fiddle in their own state. And then you got Georgia right next door now doing what they've never done in their history. It's like the they had some difficult obstacles before Georgia was actually this good. And, and now, like, they weren't beating Georgia before Georgia was winning national championships. Like, Mark Richt was owning Auburn uh, for the last 10, 15 years. So and now with, with Georgia and Alabama, what they are, and just the SEC West, that, that's going to change. But for all that Auburn has going for it, like, there's a lot of challenges too. Like, when you just look at, like, the two, like, championship appearances they've had, it's like – that 2013 season is just like magical with how like perfect, like they won like four or five games in the final minute. Like it was just like everything had to work out 2010. They just get like the greatest player of all time to, to just go to just transfer to their school at a Juco and just elevate a mediocre team into a national champion. So Auburn is, uh, is in a really difficult spot too. I feel like you're higher on Auburn like this year than I am. I just, I'm a big believer in those, the, I've seen Hugh Freeze's offenses work wherever he's gone. He has a bunch of talent. He put a, he just killed it in the portal with a bunch of uh, high uh, upside starters right away. I like the receiver room. I like the running back room. I think I'm interested to see what the Tulsa kid does at left tackle. Peyton Thorne's now going to start under center, it looks like, who has played good ball at the Power 5 level. Like, I just, I don't see a way that Auburn is not, eight and four seven and five at the absolute worst and i think they're going to be competitive in a lot of big games i think they're going to be competitive against georgia i think they'll be competitive against bama um i'm not saying they'll win either of those games but like yeah i'm pretty i am definitely more optimistic the next two to three years about where auburn can be than where florida can be i think florida is just uh it's 
the Napier stuff's not going to work. Like this is this is not going to happen. But Hugh Freeze winning a national title at Auburn would not surprise me. The one thing about Florida is I don't I don't know this, but I feel like Florida has like the standards at Florida have come not not the standards, but like the ridiculous expectation I think has kind of come back to to reality a little bit, and so it feels like Billy Napier is gonna get a few years to like okay this this was a complete rebuild like you got to give me some time which is like not actually... the case like Florida was almost at the CFP precipice with... but we know how Dan Mullen was recruiting like but it wasn't like a dumpster fire there. it wasn't like what Tennessee was walking into where but they like had the... they had the bad year though after the 2019 also like the 29 or the 2020 season they still went what eight and four like as good as as the as great of a season as that was, it was still it still missed uh, expectations by a long shot. And the 2021 season followed, and it was awful. And the cupboard looked appeared to be bare at that point. I just don't think I don't think bare is the right word. It's just not it wasn't as good as it could be, which is we two just, very different things. We just know Florida was not recruiting at a level that it takes to compete in the SEC. Like they, they were, were in the signing- bleacher ratio, though they still were. I mean, that's partly why I question some of this blue chip ratio. Like, I mean, it's not... They weren't recruiting it, Urban Meyer teams, levels, but they were not... It wasn't like they were just falling apart. It was like 12th ranked class, 11... Like, it wasn't just like a dumpster fire. It was just not as... It was for good. Florida standards. Yes. Yeah, it was not good, for sure. <clears throat> but he's also just a better coach. Like, he's a better offensive mind. You can make the case Dan Mullen is top three offensive mind, maybe top two offensive mind in the sport. Um yeah, it's kind of it's just a tragedy that he's not coaching anywhere. But uh, if Billy again. Napier is a better recruiter, if he's a better CEO of the program and all of that stuff, like that's you know, there's a reason Dan Mullen's not coaching anywhere right now, right? Like he he was doing something wrong. So I think uh, I don't know the the jury's still out of Billy Napier. I'm not gonna uh, I'm not gonna write write the uh, write his his obituary just yet. I am because it. That's been the case in my lifetime for every non-Urban Meyer, Steve Spurrier head coach at the University of Florida. They don't work. So uh, what Zook got about, what, two years? Like two, yeah. what is it? Was he 2003? Oh, Meyer got there 05. So I mm. think, I want to say 2001 or 2002 was was uh, Spurrier's last year. So he got two at most three. And then McElwain was, what, gone after three? Back-to-back SEC He got 02 to 04. Okay, and then back-to-back SEC East titles for McIlwain, and then he's gone after year three. But that was also like the and Ron whole Zook fake death threats and all that stuff. Ron Zook wasn't awful. Like they went eight and four, eight and four, seven and four. Like it wasn't I like mean, that is awful. Look what they did the decade before that. No, what I am saying is like Billy Napier could absolutely win less games than Ron Zook his first two years. Have you seen this Florida schedule? Well, he could Ron, absolutely of have course, a worse Ron Zook run. took over the program that Steve Spurrier had, was, had built. Like that was they were a powerhouse, and Ron Zook was a great recruiter. So that that was all he was known for. So mm-hmm. I mean, they, they were he was, and and also like recruiting that program at that time, I'm sure was a lot easier than what Billy Napier is having to do right now. So I mean, yeah, I would expect Ron Zook those years to be better, like first two three years, like with what. With what Billy Napier's got to go up against, with with Georgia being a juggernaut in the SEC East and Tennessee now emerging in the SEC East too, it's like it's, there's a lot of challenges, especially if Florida State's not going away. That's fair. I just 
I'm not an Apier long-term believer. I don't think he's gonna he's gonna be the guy. It's gonna be tough, that's for sure. But we'll see. Um, is Oregon the best sleeper pick here? I feel like your answer is yes here. Because <clears throat> they're my pick, so yeah, I would say definitely they're the best pick. You I was, the, I well, was you also surprised the, to hear. Oh, go ahead. Go ahead. Well, I was gonna say like building up what you said because I had this on my list here was like Oregon. I think they're my best sleeper pick because I think it's a little bit different than wild card. I think they're the best sleeper pick because I don't think anyone's going to be talking about Oregon winning the national do we have title. A, do we have a distinction? Do we have a de- yeah, definition wild, there with wild card versus yeah, sleeper? Yeah, because wild card, people are going to talk about it going into the year. Wild card is like, oh, because that, that piece is getting written and like people are going to talk about it in college football conversations. Like the wild card, like USC with Caleb Williams, a Heisman quarterback. They're a great wild card team. Like Texas A&M wild card where it's like, if all works together, Texas A&M, like that's going to be a conversation starter at the water cooler for a lot of folks here in the South, uh, come football season. There's going to be a lot of Texas those, for Texas sure. Texas like for this sure. is the year for yeah. Texas, that sort of thing. Oregon is just going to be out there on the outskirts because they're in a forgotten conference that who knows what their TV deal looks like. They're not USC. They don't have a Heisman favorite. They're kind of just going to be like Dan Landing's not Chip Dude, Kelly. He's don't not, they have a Heisman favorite? Like, I think Bo Nix is, like, top five in Heisman odds right now. It just doesn't feel like you lose Kenny Dillingham to Arizona State, so we'll see what the new offensive coordinator looks like there. But it's not like they have just – it's not the Oregon of old, like Chip Kelly, Oregon, where there's a lot more flash, there was a lot more notoriety. Like, Dan Lanning's not the same kind of same kind of dude. And I'm not saying that as a shot. I'm just saying they're different. And I think Oregon was ahead of schedule significantly last year. They are in the right spot in the blue chip ratio. I think it's going to be really hard for Utah to redo exactly what they did a year ago. Michael Penix has to stay healthy for a full year at, uh, at uh, Washington. The Pac-12 is loaded all across the board. Like You have quarterback NFL quarterbacks everywhere, um, it seems like. But... If you were well, to say, let's not forget sneak- too that like they didn't fire Cristobal. Like Cristobal bounced, so yeah. like, they they were doing well. Like he 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 didn't take over a, a rebuild like some of these other coaches did. For sure. And you also look. Guess what? Oregon has a history. USC doesn't have a history in the CFP yet. Washington doesn't have a history. Oregon has a history. Hey, of actually- Washington's got one. You bite your tongue, sir. Oregon's played well in both of theirs. Like Oregon has at least a history. Like Marcus Mariota had his time. Um, and you look at uh, they made it twice. They no, that are- was the that was the one. They just won. They, twice. they won a game. So they played two games. Yeah, I guess so. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, so there's a little bit more. They've won a CFP game, which yeah, hey, I that's think a the short only list, Pac-12 team sure. to win a playoff game. That's important. I just think, like you said, with the Bo Nix stuff, if you were to tell me Bo Nix was a Heisman guy, the defense was elite, they have dudes on both sides of the ball that they could theoretically win a national title. I think of this group, I think they're the best CFP sleeper to win the national title, where I'm like, if you told me that no one was talking about them until November, and they're sitting there at 11-1, and and they win the Pac-12 game title game convincingly. They get like I don't know Texas in the CFP opener, or they get Alabama or something, and they beat Alabama because Alabama's offense isn't great, and they just they over they just withstand that, and then Georgia loses somehow to somebody else in the first round. You're like, oh, that's a path because we saw Georgia Oregon this past year, and that was a bloodbath. I probably <laughs> would not take Georgia 
losing to Oregon in the CFP next year. But if they can it's avoid there, year, but it's a new yeah, year, but I don't like know if it's going to be that big of a change in one year. You could see it. Like there's like it. It's hard, but I could at least see it. I think they're the best sleeper pick for me. Yeah, I don't hate that. I, one team that like it's hard to I don't know what to classify them as is Michigan. Hmm. It's like they feel like a sleeper. They're down here fifty four percent, but fourteenth in the blue chip ratio below Penn State, and like they've won the damn conference <laughs> two years in a row, like and, and gotten to the playoff. But it feels like. Like you got Ohio State right up there at 85% at number two. And people talking like myself included, like this is the year Penn State breaks through. We're just all kind of, they, they kind of feel like Georgia or so from like 2020, 2021. Like they're just, they just go, got their head down, going about their business. Everyone's focusing on everyone with the shiny toys and all the, the big offensive numbers and everything. And they're just, you know, they're chopping wood, if you will, just kind of doing their thing. And they, they feel like they have a chip on their shoulder and they're kind of that forgotten about kind of powerhouse program in the Big Ten. I don't know to call them. Can you call them a sleeper when they've won the conference back to back years? But it feels like we're kind of sleeping on them again. Yeah, I it's funny because like Blake Corm would be like a 99 overall. I think I saw for PFFs in TLA. Uh, oh, that's gamer. blasphemy. Blake Corum, 99 overall. Are you kidding me? You got to reserve 99 for like superstar. I give Blake Corum like a 94. He's a really good player. 99. That's crazy talk. JJ McCarthy, another full year. Like he was a five like Leonard star. Fournette, you know, you yeah. got to. Sorry, I got off on the on the NCAA talk. That really hurt you. Like Blake Corum <laughs> being a 99 really bothered that's you. That's terrible. Brock, Brock Bowers is a 99. Like Marvin mm. Harrison junior like that's a 99 like level like caleb williams give him a give him a 90 maybe 98 99 like something like that like 99 that's rare fight air well i also think it's like a funny thing too i like the kirby comparison a little bit where it's like they've had the heartbreaking moments now back-to-back years in the playoff like yeah it's easy to forget that georgia had those <laughs> like georgia in the early kirby years where you're like oh god how many more cfp heartbreaks can we take here before we break through and i mean this will change and sec team. championship Right, and the difference now is going from 4 to 12, like, that will obviously change things, but they should be, like, there's so much that's so fascinating about Michigan this year because they've gone back-to-back. Their team is just as loaded this year as they've been the last two years. They've made the playoff, but Ohio State obviously loaded all across the board. New quarterback, we'll see what uh, Kyle McCord looks like under center, but they have the best receiver room, or best receiver duo. I wouldn't say room as as of right now, but best duo. Um, two potential top 10 top 15 picks there like you've beaten them back-to-back years what does that look like for Ohio State and Ryan Day if he loses three years in a row um, to Michigan does he keep his job if he loses to Michigan three years in a row regardless of everything else around him and then if you're Michigan you're like we should have beaten TCU like that was just a game from hell and obviously it did not end uh, in a great way for them but like you get destroyed by Georgia two years ago, but you've learned a lot since then. You're still recruiting well. You're still, you didn't have the guy. Like, Cade hey, McNamara wasn't the guy. You have the five-star guy here now. You bring in another five-star quarterback, uh, Jaden Davis, who will be in the fold after JJ. Like, you're recruiting well at that spot. I mean, I think they're a really fun sleeper where, you, like you said, with Penn State, it feels like they should. And everyone is going to say Ohio State. Like I have Ohio State winning the national title. Like I, that's my that's my pick. I think it's Ohio State LSU and Ohio State wins. But 
that's I don't feel like I'm not just putting my my livelihood on it. I just think <laughs> yeah. that it's just going to be so fascinating because I don't think anyone's going to want to pick Michigan based on what we've seen in the last two playoff runs. And I wonder if that helps them. They're like, yeah, pick against us again. We're just going to keep like keep xing out the michigan wolverines for making the cfp keep riding in ohio state keep riding in penn state keep riding in texas that's all great um we're gonna just go 12 and 0 again and then (laughs) make the playoff like that's that's what we're gonna do yeah and i think a lot of people do feel like that tcu game was like the worst case scenario like you threw two picks sixes like i'm not Mm. sure how many times they turned it over like the one on the goal line where that probably should have been a touchdown uh uh, like a 50-yard touchdown pass, and then they fumble on the next play. So uh, there was just so many things that happened. But if, hypothetically, you do beat TCU and then get routed by Georgia, maybe it's 49-7, to not 65-7, mm. to like they beat TCU. Like, do you feel better about your season if you got just blasted by Georgia two years in a row now? Like, it's the team that won the national championship. They're obviously beating a lot of people both years. But it almost feels like it, it might be, be more demoralizing if you see two years in a row, wow, we're like so far from the mountaintop. Like we are not even in the same stratosphere as this uh, number one program right now. Whereas TCU, you can kind of be like, that was a fluke game. We would have given Georgia so much better game. Like next year, we're still building towards something. This is year one of J.J. McCarthy. Like there's still like – it's encouraging. You're playing Ohio State in Ann Arbor uh, in 2023, like going for three straight, which I think the last time that happened, I think I think I heard was like 96, 97, 98 or something like that. So that's just massive. Like as a as a Georgia fan that experienced the Georgia Florida uh, just domination for so many years, I remember 11, <clears throat> 11, 12, 13 when Georgia won three in a row. It was like. Have we really beaten Florida three years in a row? Like, I didn't even understand. I was 23 years old before we ever saw Georgia win three games in a row. Like, that's what Michigan could potentially be doing this year. Yeah, I mean, I it's going to be fun to watch. I think they're going to be a really fun one. Uh, Auburn, though, someone made a joke where it was like, Brian Harson tried as hard as he could to get Auburn out of that blue chip ratio. But, <laughs> it, uh, it like, he just, they fired him just before. They got they fell out of that uh, that ratio. Now Hugh Freeze is back in there to get the bright back back in there. So good for Auburn um, to stay in that in that the all encompassing uh, number. But I do wonder too, Matt Green. We can end it here with Bama being at ninety percent, which I don't think people understand how preposterous that is. Ninety percent of their roster this year is going to be four and five star blue chip guys. That's insane. Like that is an insane number. Um, when you consider that Georgia... they were at eighty nine percent last year, yeah, too. like does that would that drive you more nuts? Is it more of an indictment? Do that does Alabama deserve more criticism for not getting it done with that many dudes now? Like it seems kind of crazy to like pick at Alabama for anything, but like to have this much talent and to still not be, get over the Georgia hump the last couple of years or lose to LSU last year, to lose at Tennessee, um, to not win a title with Bryce Young, who was arguably the best quarterback in the sport, best player overall um, last year. Like, I do kind of wonder if Alabama fans are like, all right, it's great that we're still recruiting at an all-time great level and we have these classes, but 
it's kind of weird to see Alabama at that number and no one's really afraid of them coming into this year, right? Like Georgia's not afraid. Ohio State's not afraid. Tennessee's definitely not afraid. LSU's not afraid. And Bama has this 90% ratio and you're like, eh, we're fine. Like, uh, I'm not as concerned. Like, I've never been less afraid of Alabama and this is the most talented Alabama roster in our lifetime. Isn't that crazy? Well, that's and that's one of my issues with this blue chip ratio is that like we're not ranking, we're not weighting it for like the four and five stars that are seniors versus the four and five stars that are freshmen or the four and five stars that are juniors. You know, like the, that are really going to be part of the starting lineup. And also, like like Georgia's at seventy seven percent, like and Alabama's at ninety. Like last in twenty twenty two, Alabama's at eighty nine percent. Georgia was also at seventy seven. So you look at Georgia's roster and it's like, is, is Javon Bullard not counted as a blue chip player? Is, is Lad McConkey not counted as a blue chip player? Stetson Bennett, mm-hmm. not a blue chip player. It's like, there's a lot of really good players that weren't four and five stars that this blue chip ratio doesn't take into account for. So it, it's, that's the one thing because like, we know Alabama has elite talent. We know Ohio state has elite talent. So yeah, you can quantify it if you want and, and say like, Oh, they're number one or number two. But these rankings aren't real, right? Like, this isn't, like, a real thing. This is just, like, yeah, they're super loaded. Like, at some point, you're just, you're you're loaded. There's, there's a, there's nowhere to go from there. You know, it's, it's, we know there, there's just so much talent on these rosters. It's, is it, is it the number one most talent or is the number three most talent? We have no idea of really knowing because, like you said, I feel like 2022 one of the one of the least talented Alabama teams I've seen in a long time, at least at the skill positions, like offensively, like it, even in the secondary, it just was not the typical, just like five star, just lockdown corners, lockdown or superstar receivers. Like it just, they didn't have that. And so to see him at 89% last year, it's a, it's a cool, like, you know, smack talk to Alabama fans like, oh, you guys are the number one pick and number three pick in the draft and didn't even make the SEC championship. Like, it's a cool, it's cool to like be able to use that to to poke fun on Twitter or something. But at the end of the day, it's like, you know, Alabama has good players. And if they don't succeed, it's obvious if they don't win a national championship, it's obviously a failure uh, because that's this that's the ridiculous bar that Nick Saban has set. I think you're right. And I also think there is context. Uh, and that's a good way of wrapping things up here. It's like there's context with all these different teams and their rosters and the ratio and this, that, and the other. And it doesn't mean if your team's not in the ratio that you can't make the playoff, you can't make the title game, this, that, and the other. There will be an anomaly one day where it will be a team that probably wins this thing. I guess not anymore with the four team going away. It's probably not going to happen. A uh, 12 team playoff, a team outside of the chip ratio winning three straight against blue chip teams. But um, I do think there is so much context, but I, I wonder too, it's an indictment on the coaching at Alabama in the last couple of years that they've had this talent and they have still had, like, it wasn't like the receivers who were not scaring us last year. were not four and five star guys. They just weren't developed. They weren't, um, they just were not the, uh, the receivers, the Amari Coopers, the Julio Jones, the Devonte Smith, the Jalen Waddles of the last couple of years. And was, is there a developmental issue there? A little bit, but if you're an Alabama fan, you, you have a right to be kind of annoyed that you have this talent in the backfield. You have this talent. Like, what is Justin Haynes going to be like? You got him from Georgia. He better be good. Like, you've had like he better be like a, a really good. If you're going to flip back to like we're going to ground and pound this, that, and the other, it's like all right, he better be great. 
you better run him into the ground like Bo Scarborough and Derek Henry and company. We better be Mark Ingram. Like this better be but, that. And, and that's another thing too. Like Justice Haynes, like is he counted the same for statistically as as Kendall Milton is? It's mm. like not that Justice Haynes couldn't easily be better than Kendall Milton this year, but he's a fourth year on campus. Like you kind of know he's going to be a part of the of the offense. Like it, we're counting a, a backup running back as like, oh, well, how can you guys not win? You have so much talent. It's like, well, this guy's 18 years old. He does not playing yet. So mm. it's that's another thing. Like, I don't know. I, I don't think you can really take into account for that. You're just like these blue chip ratio. You're just going by fours and five star players based on, you know, based on the total number on the roster. So I think uh, there's some flaws in it. Like Jordan Davis, he wasn't a, he wasn't a blue chip player. You know what I mean? Like it's uh it's it's tough to and still george was at like 80 84 i think in 2021 so you know it's it's tough to account for but yeah at the end of the day you know you, you got to play the games and you, you, i guess you, i guess in knoxville and tallahassee you're not gonna win a national championship but you can still enjoy the season anyway that wasn't necessary that was uh, <laughs> that was, was uh, the whole thomas family attacked just though that was uh, uncalled for, unprovoked, and wholly unnecessary, Matt Green. But that was fun. That was a fun exercise, and it's uh, another good off-season topic, I think, for us to parse through um, to kind of get a better feel. Each and every week, we want to get a better feel and give the listeners a better feel of what to expect um, out of the best of the best in the college football season. That is getting closer and closer by the weeks here. I know you care a lot about the blue chip ratio, so like I yeah. want to act like I care a lot to talk smack uh, about Tennessee not being on it. I actually but... care more about the S and P plus ratio, which many care about more with uh, Tennessee being right there at number six. That's more of my where I'm trying to go right now. There you go. Great. Hey, you got to find the little things to craft my narrative <laughs> to spin it where I need it to go. There you go. For that guy down there in Tequila Jordan McGreen, I'm Chase Thomas, and that will do it for this edition of the full ride here on the chase Thomas podcast and we will be back next week matt green thank you as always go bravos all right joining me now here on the chase Thomas podcast taping this on a tuesday afternoon first timer tony morrell is here of the big spur tony good afternoon sir how are you i'm doing great chase how about you not too bad. Not too bad. I mean, I won't like we were doing uh, before we got on here. Uh, Tennessee baseball not hosting Southern Miss uh, this weekend in the Super Regional. Not really thrilled about that. JJ Harrell decommits from Tennessee football this week. Four star wide receiver out of uh, Mississippi. Um, Cam Fountain ends up at USC kind of out of nowhere. So the sky is falling a little bit uh, right now here on uh, on Rocky Top. So it's actually kind of a more uh, chaotic week than I had anticipated it being here um, yes. on Knoxville. I, but I assume things are pretty good over there in South Carolina country. Uh, baseball yeah. going well, recruiting going well. Y'all aren't feeling it this week the same way we are. Yeah, maybe not quite to that degree. South Carolina was involved with Cam Fountain as well. Mm. And, uh, it was one of his lead schools at one time. But I think uh, you know Gamecock fans had already realized that he was probably headed elsewhere. So it wasn't as big a shock maybe as it was to Tennessee when he made that commitment to Southern Cal, but they're certainly um, throwing the NIL money around out there in LA and, and making recruiting a, a big part of it. So it's going to be interesting to see how Lincoln Riley can manage all that, and whether he can keep his, his locker room happy. 
Absolutely. Um, well, there is one uh, out of, outside of Fountain that I wanted to pick your brain on that uh, Tennessee and South Carolina both seem to be in st- strong running for it. It's a running back, Daniel Hill. Do you think he is a lean for South Carolina at the moment? Where do you think Daniel Hill is at at this, at this point in time? I do think he's a South Carolina lean. I think he has been for a while. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's going to visit South Carolina uh, the weekend of June 23rd, which is their big uh, official visit weekend this mm-hmm. month. They're going to have just about all of their commitments, current commitments, visiting that weekend. And then uh, some of their top targets like Daniel Hill, Dylan Stewart, uh, Jordan Thomas, four-star defensive tackle out of New Jersey. Uh, they're going to have several of those types on campus as well. Uh, but I, I do think the Gamecocks are in a good spot with Hill, but obviously they have to close the deal. It's all about closing the deal now. And I mean, I think Alabama is obviously in there because he's an Alabama kid originally, right? Isn't he? Yeah. yeah. yeah I so I'm, you know, it's going to be a tough one to get the kid out of Alabama, right? Yeah, it's hard to to know where he is on Alabama's board. Mm. They obviously have a lot of options at, at receiver and running back, it seems like, every year. Uh, but he has visited there and, and is someone they've offered. But whether or not he's the same priority for Alabama that he is for South Carolina, I, I'm not sure. Um, when you look at South Carolina and just uh, get gauging where the fan base is at the moment, are South Carolina football fans thinking SEC East Dark Horse this fall? Or are they just like, hey – our schedule's tough, which I'll ask you about a little bit. Like, are they pretty realistic about it? Or is there just because you have a lot of recruiting momentum at the moment and because of how last season ended, just about if you exclude the bowl game, um, which I think most folks really should at this point exclude whatever happens in these bowl games, um, beating Clemson and Tennessee the way that they did, is it now like you have to make this jump or South Carolina fans pretty measured in like, look, this is where we're at. We have to go to Georgia. We have to go to Tennessee, like eight and four, Let's just let's hope and uh, we'll get closer next year. Or are they thinking Dark Horse? No, I, I think most fans are, are pretty measured and, and thinking more along the lines of how you mentioned at the end of that sentence, end of your question, you know, eight and four would be a, a very good year and another step forward for Shane Beamer. Mm. A lot of positive momentum surrounding the program. I think Beamer is doing a, a very good job of creating a culture that recruits and players want to be a part of and mm. is building the foundation for a program that can compete year in and year out. And South Carolina's really never had that. Um, you know, Muschamp was supposed to be that guy, but it, it just really never materialized under him. You know, Spurrier and Holtz were both savior types who were really more year to year than, than looking at building something long-term. And, you know, Beamer is taking a completely different approach. And But I think most Gamecock fans know that, that there's – enough questions surrounding their personnel to where, you know, winning the SEC East is, is probably a long shot. Not probably. I mean, it is a long shot. When you look at what Georgia's done, you look at what Tennessee has returning and have to go to both of those places, you know, to win the East, they would have to win at least one of those games on the road and then really fare well in, in all of their home games and, and the rest of their road SEC games, which they also go to A&M. Um, you know, who knows what to expect from A&M. You know, they mm. could rate, they could be, you know, what they were last year. I, I don't know. It's going to be interesting to see how that Petrino Fisher marriage works. Um, but I think most are pretty realistic and would just love to see another step forward. You know, it's probably going to be Spencer, Spencer Rattler's last year and there's some weapons and they should be better offensively and exciting to watch. But, you know, with the schedule they have, particularly the road schedule in conference, it's going to be tough to, to really be there in the end in the SEC East, I think. 
How much do you read into the toughest schedule in college football narrative? Do you think it's fair or do you think people are overblowing it a little bit? I think it's a bit overblown. You know, I, I don't, I find it hard to believe that their schedule is the toughest in college football. You know, I don't, I don't know what every team, you know, has on their schedule. I haven't looked at it that closely, but I think a lot of it is, you know, based on tradition. You look at the number of teams on South Carolina's schedule that are going to be replacing their quarterback, mm. which I think a lot of times is is indicative of, of what kind of year a team is likely to have. And and the majority of the teams on the schedule are going to have a new quarterback. And I think that's a positive for South Carolina, you know, where if they were playing Georgia and Tennessee and, and these teams and they all had their quarterbacks back, then maybe you could make the argument that it's the toughest schedule in the country. But, but I think when you look at Florida replacing the quarterback, Tennessee, Georgia, uh, you know, A&M could be, could have a new quarterback. Um, you know, there's, there's a lot of uncertainty and who knows what to expect from Mississippi state with, you know, yeah. Mike Leach, you know, um, Kentucky is, is going to be replacing their quarterback, but that may be actually be an upgrade. Um, mm. You know, we'll see how it plays out, but it's certainly a tough schedule, but it's a tough schedule every year when you play in the SEC, especially the SEC East, East when you have to face Tennessee, you know, like they are now and Georgia coming off back-to-back national championships. And, you know, it, it's, that's life in the SEC East. Uh, it's just, I think the road schedule is what makes it uh, a little bit tougher than last year. Absolutely. Um, what do you think are going to be the biggest differences between what Logan's is going to do? Logan's, Logan's, I never, Loggins, Dow Loggins. Yeah. Uh, Loggins. Uh, what do you think the biggest differences are going to be uh, that are going to be for uh, Beamer's uh, staff here offensively versus what we've seen the last couple of years with Satterfield? Well, one thing I don't think you'll see Shane Beamer ever do again is allow his offense to become too complicated. And hmm. that happened last year. Um, you know, a lot of people want to know what happened. How did South Carolina play that well offensively against Tennessee uh, and Clemson and, and even in the bowl game against Notre Dame versus how they had performed the majority of the year prior to that. And the, the biggest thing was they simplified everything hmm. and they reduced their personnel packages down from 21 to seven. Um, they, you know, drastically reduced the number of plays that Marcus Satterfield had to pick from on the sideline on game day. And the players responded and they, they knew what they were doing really for the hmm. first time, play in and play out. And, and that's really what changed. And that's why Spencer Rattler played so much better. He wasn't lost anymore. Um, so, you know, I think that's the, the biggest thing Beamer learned under Satterfield and is not going to allow that to happen again under Loggins. Loggins obviously saw what happened as well. So um, I, I think the biggest, I think you'll still see a lot of the pro style concepts that Satterfield used, but I think it'll be, easier for the players to understand. And I think you'll see more air raid stuff hmm. within, um, you know, the things that he learned under Kendall Bryles at Arkansas uh, and, and just some of the things he's learned since he returned to college from the NFL. I think he wants to blend those two and really utilize his personnel. That, I think that was the, another weakness of Marcus Satterfield was, you know, because he had so many personnel packages there were just too many instances where his playmakers were standing on the sideline versus out there on the field with a chance to make plays. And I think Loggins is going to do a much better job of building around his playmakers and making sure those guys are on the field as much as possible and, and being put in a position where they can you know use their strengths and, and make bigger plays. When, I mean, just uh, thinking about uh, just a year from now, do you think we'll end up looking at this offensive coordinator change as a net positive for South Carolina? I do. Um, personally, um, you know, obviously there's, there's nobody to know that for sure because mm. Hoggins has never done it at the college level, but just based on everything I've heard 
about how he's integrated himself with the other coaches, what the players think of him, uh, what Beamer thinks of him, uh, what opposing coaches who are familiar with his coaching ability and style think of him, his, uh, his recruiting ability. You know, Satterford really recruited quarterbacks, and that was it. A lot hmm. of recruiting anybody they wanted him to help with, and uh, and that's been a nice change for them on the recruiting trail as well. He's making phone calls. He's you know much more involved when kids are on campus than Satterfield was, uh, and it just it's just a general more positive attitude around the program on the offensive side of the ball with him in charge. And I think that will pay dividends. Interesting. Um, where are they going to land recruiting wise in the 2024 cycle here? Do you think they land potentially at that five, six spot? Do you think it's closer to nine, 10? Is it outside the top 10 based on, cause they have a lot of dudes in the boat already, right? Like they've got a pretty good amount. They do. Um, I, you know, they've lost a little bit of momentum here in the last mm-hmm. month or so. You know, they were really, it felt like they were positioned extremely well at just about every position to, to close out and, and potentially have a top five, six type class when all was said and done. That may be a little bit more difficult with some of the guys they missed out on here recently. Mm. I think that, that probably top 10 to 12 range is probably more realistic, but there's still an opportunity for it to be better than that if they can really close the deal on a guy like Dylan Stewart, for instance, who's mm. the number one player in the country. I think South Carolina, if not his leader, is at least top two with him. But there's a lot of indications behind the scene that they could be the leader. Uh, and they've, they've had a lot of success recruiting the DMV area under Beamer. And and um, and, and they, they have a chance to, to do that again this year. And, and he obviously would be the biggest fish up there. But uh, but when you're competing with, you know, you look at what Georgia's doing, what Tennessee's doing, what Alabama's doing, Ohio State, you know, just in conference alone, it's, it's tough to finish top five. Mm-hmm. Uh, to do it nationally is obviously even more difficult when you add in you know, Southern Cal, and Ohio State, Texas, and some of these other schools. So, um, you know, it, it's top five is tough for a school like South Carolina, but I do think, you know, 10 to 12 is doable if they can, you know, close the deal on the right guys down the stretch. Who do you think your gut's telling you is going to be the headliner from this class years from now? Who do you think will end up being the best player? Um, you know, if they land him, I think it could be Dylan Stewart. Okay. I think he's – they need a, a playmaking edge type player, and he obviously fits the bill, um, has all the tools to be a, a great pass rusher, mm. very disruptive as a pass rusher, but he's also very coachable and can stop the run. Is not just a, a guy who goes and gets a quarterback. He's a complete player. Um, and, and Sterling Lucas, their edge coach, is looking for a guy to build around at that position, and I think he, he could be that kind of guy. Um, you know, but there's, there's a few different players. I think that they're likely to land who, who could, you know, it, it, they're not sexy, but you know, Cam Pringle and, and Josiah yeah. at offensive tackle are, are two guys that, that have the look of being, you know, future 10 year plus NFL guys, if they develop, mm-hmm. expect them to, but you know, a lot of people don't really want to point to an offensive tackle and say, he's going to be the best player in this class, but it, it's possible. Uh, and, and, that's not historically how South Carolina has recruited uh, on the offensive line. You know, getting two bookend guys like that to build around for the future, I think, is huge for them. It's going to allow them to move a guy like Marquis Anderson, who they signed last year, inside to guard, where I think he's a better fit, mm. and um, and really have two prototypical type tackles to build around, and and that that really is going to help Loggins as he you know builds on this offense in future years. 
Yeah, fans aren't looking at that because they're, as you know, covering recruiting is just there aren't a lot of five star offensive tackles. There aren't a lot of those premier guys. And if they are those premier guys, it's really hard to beat out the Bamas of the world for those guys because that pipeline, it's just you look at Proctor, um, I think was named the Iowa kid where it was down to uh, Iowa and Bama and he still chose Bama. Um, And I think it was reported that Iowa offered him more money. It's not just NIL. Like it's it's really hard to get those guys like Tennessee. I tell folks where I'm like when Tennessee fans get uh, annoyed about the offensive tackle position and where they're recruiting. And I'm like, they just, there aren't a lot of guys around here like Cam Pringle. Yeah. You can swing at Cam Pringle, but it's just going to be really hard. It's going to be really hard to swing at the Marcus easily types who um, I think they're going to get in here in the next month. But like, it seems like that's an Alabama lean. So it's just really hard when Trey Smith is born in your state and is uh, local. That's really nice. But when you and don't that's, have that, that's the situation South Carolina found themselves yes. with, with Pringle and Thompson to have those guys in state and mm-hmm. be able to get them on campus. You know, Thompson in particular attends a school that, you know, has sent the majority of their players over the years to South Carolina when they've mm-hmm. had division one prospects. So they had the ties they needed there. Um, and then they, they really did a good job with Pringle of, of just getting him on campus as much as possible to build mm-hmm. that relationship with him because Clemson felt good about him for a long time early in the process, but they were able to turn him. But if they were recruiting those two guys in the state of Georgia or the state of Florida, you know, odds are they, they're not coming to South Carolina. Mm-hmm. So they, they, you have to capitalize when you get those opportunities, and, and they did. Absolutely. Speaking of Tennessee and South Carolina, I, I wonder because it seems like from the outside – like fans obviously love to craft their own narratives and spin their own narratives. But do you think there actually is real animosity between Shane Beamer and Josh Heupel? I don't think they're going to be sharing a meal anytime soon. Okay. <laughs> uh, you know, I, and, and, and don't get me wrong. Beamer has not made any comments to me or to anyone that I know of behind the scenes directly about Josh Heupel. But I, I don't think that either side is particularly fond of the other one uh, based mm. on what's happened the last couple of years on the field. And, you know, Hypel obviously got the best of Beamer two years ago, and then Beamer returned the favor this year. And and I know Hypel is going to, you know, try to, to get back on the right side of things when South Carolina comes to town. I'm sure they've had that game circled and will continue to have it circled based on what happened last year. But um, but I think it's going to be fun to watch the two of those guys as they build the programs. I think they're going to be competing for a long time, uh, assuming, you know, I, I don't I think there's very little chance Beamer leaves South Carolina. That's where he wants to be. He's made it very clear it's his dream job. I don't think Heifel would leave Tennessee either unless just, you know, the NFL maybe came calling or something like that at some point. It was too good to pass up. But odds are they're going to be at their respective programs for a long time. And and Mm. I think they're going to obviously play each other every year right now, whether that remains under the the, uh, SEC news format, I don't know. But but I think you're going to see them play a lot and, and, I think both both coaches are, are off to a good start in building their respective programs. It really does feel like they've become a, a fun rivalry here. And I mean, the games are obviously more competitive because I think a lot of people just assume Kentucky, Tennessee, but those games aren't really like Tennessee doesn't sweat Kentucky every year. Like they are not sweating going into Kentucky next year. Um, it's just and there's obviously no love lost there between Stoops and Heupel um, dating back to the Oklahoma stuff. So when we talk about animosity, um, I don't think Heupel has any plans uh, to lose to Mark Stoops anytime soon. Yeah, I don't think Stoops is any other coach's favorite guy. He has a <laughs> tendency to, to rub guys the wrong way. But, you know, he's done a heck of a job at a, at a tough place to win. Mm-hmm. You know, football's never going to be the priority at Kentucky. Um, yeah. 
you know, so it's going to be interesting to see if he ends up moving on at some point and gets an opportunity to, to really show what he's capable of. But, you know, that's a, that's a, a team that South Carolina didn't used to sweat mm. Mark Stoops. Um, and then, you know, last year they snapped a, a long losing streak to Kentucky when they beat them. So, yeah. um, you know, they, they need to continue to, to win that game. I think if they want to have upper mobility in the SEC East, they, that's a game they have to win as much as possible, obviously. And then Missouri is another team that South Carolina has struggled with a little bit more than people might expect. And they go to Missouri this season. And I think that's another game that they, they have to start consistently getting uh, the better of. Yeah, um, that's another one where I, I'll just go ahead and say I don't think Heupel has any uh, qualms about dropping 60 at Mizzou this fall. I don't I don't think he's at all concerned about uh, running out the score against Eli uh, and company this this year. And it's funny, too, because I like Napier, you would think Tennessee, Georgia or Tennessee, Florida. And I'm like, I don't think there really is a whole lot of animosity with Heupel and Kirby and Napier. I think it's actually the the unusual suspects, uh, the Stoops and the Eli's of the world. And yeah. maybe Beamer. I think Beamer is just more competitive. Where I think they enjoy and respect, like there is some, like we'll see what happens uh, with kickoff time. But I want to make a rule where Tennessee's not allowed to play at South Carolina at night. If we're gonna go, we're going back every other year, or whatever. You can only play at noon or three thirty on CBS. I'm not doing any more House of Horrors at South Carolina with that place rocking at night. I knew I before the podcast, uh, before the season last year, Tony, I predicted ten and two. Tennessee would split Bama and Georgia. The tape is there forever and that they would lose at South Carolina. Cause I was like, this is going to be a night game. Everything's going to feel great. Cause you got beat. You took down one of the big ones and South Carolina is just going to be sitting there late. I didn't like when that game was played. I didn't like the situation that it might be for them. And I didn't think it was going to be that bad. But when I say that next day here in Knoxville, Tennessee felt like a bomb went off. Uh, just, it was, it was unlike anything else. I mean, I imagine for South Carolina fans, it was just so euphoric. And on our end, it's like, I don't think we'll ever see those orange helmets again. I think those are goners. Those need to go in the trash can forever. Um, Jeremy Banks, obviously not available in that one. And well, that's always going to be a what if, uh, if he plays with that defense, but sure. and then hooker going down and then he's going to miss out on the Heisman because of that. And like, there was just so many things where I, on the playoffs, I mean, I, you know, I, I don't know, not just South Carolina. I don't know of another college football team that made a bigger offensive turnaround in two weeks than South Carolina did. Mm. They went to the swamp and, you know, were shut out by a, a frankly horrendous Florida defense, yeah. shut them out. Um, you know, South Carolina really never scared the end zone in that game. Um, you know, they, they, they go to Nashville and, and win Vander, at Vanderbilt in an ugly game the next week and then just have a, a complete offensive explosion against Tennessee two weeks later that I don't think anyone saw coming. You, know, you predicted the win, but I, I don't think anybody in their right mind could have predicted South Carolina would play offensively the way they did in that game where Spencer Rattler was just, you know, even his incompletions were perfectly thrown balls. Mm-hmm. For, or they, either they were thrown away intentionally or they were dropped. He looked like Aaron Rodgers, like the way he was moving. Yeah. The, it was so crisp. It was a clean ball. And like, he was, yeah. he was dealing like it just, but I will say that some of the revisionist history where it was like that game was over when Hinton Hooker went down. I was like, mm. it wasn't like South Carolina was stopping Tennessee all that often. Tennessee was still moving the ball pretty well. Like it wouldn't have surprised me if that game had gone deep into the fourth because Tennessee was moving the football and they were, I, I wouldn't have predicted them to still come through in the fourth, but it was still enough where I was yeah. like, 
it wouldn't have shocked me if that game would have been a little tricky late if he doesn't get like momentum at one point and yeah you know you could you could feel that you know it, it could end up being a close game but uh, but you know south Carolina got a, you know the stops they needed in there and capitalized on them and you know won it going away which you know i don't think anyone saw that coming no, Spencer was like, just, oh, is that, uh, is that Brandon Turnage over there? All right, we're going to go to Brandon Turnage again. <laughs> is that uh, Deshaun Rucker? All right, we're going to Deshaun Rucker again. And I don't know that I've seen a guy talk more. Oh, come on. And, and perform, you know, any more poorly than, than Turnage did in that game. That was yeah. unbelievable to watch. I turned to my wife. I was like, it, it's over. Like, Turnage and Haddon, like, they just, they're talking and they are still... I mean, they're just targeting him over and over again. They saw it, and they were like, there's nothing they can do with them. Yeah. And they just, I don't know, Haddon right now, it looks like he's going to be a starter coming out of uh, spring. So we'll see what he looks like this year. But uh, last thing, and we'll get you out of here, Tony. Um, speaking of Rattler, do you think he has officially turned the corner and that you are going to get some variation of what we saw down the stretch for Rattler, the simplified playbook, being able to play more free, more open, and he has turned the corner because I think that ultimately like, might just be the difference in South Carolina getting to that eight and four, nine and three mark. I do think he has turned the corner, but I say it with one caveat. South mm. Carolina has to be able to run the football. Okay. And I think right now their obvious weakness on the offensive side of the ball is at running back. Um, you know, they don't have a proven SEC running back that they know they can count on this year. And they're going to play to carry on Joyner there. He's played quarterback. He's played receiver. He's an all-purpose type guy. But being an all-purpose guy is different from being an every-down running back who has to pass protect and, and do all the things that running backs have to do. And, um, you know, I think South Carolina has a lot of talent at tight end. I think they're better at tight end this year than they were last year. I think they're as good or better at receiver. Uh, but I think they're, they've taken a step back uh, at running back. And um, that's going to be – a big part of, of how well Rattler can play this year. You have to be able to run the football in the SEC. You can't just throw it 50, 60 times and, and expect to, to win week in and week out. You have to have balance. And, and I think that's the biggest question about South Carolina going into the season is whether they can be as effective as they need to be running it to allow Rattler to, to – because let's face it, you know, play action is a huge part of what mm -hmm. Rattler does and, and why he's effective. He sells it well. He throws a beautiful deep ball. But – play action doesn't work very well if you're not running the football. Mm. Um, you know, the defense doesn't have to respect it. So that's going to be the biggest key for, I think for him and, and for South Carolina's offense as a whole is to, to get enough production from the running backs. There you go. Uh, Tony, what can the good folks check out from you and the team over at the big spur this week? Well, uh, huge focus on recruiting right now with, uh, they had uh, six official visitors in last weekend. Looks like they're going to have somewhere between seven and eight this, this weekend, Camp sessions are going on, uh, so just a, a lot of, of great recruiting content on the site right now, and I'm going to continue to be pumping out uh, that side of things. So for anyone out there who might be considering it, it'd be a great time to join the site and get all that recruiting information. And with South Carolina recruiting like they are this year, they're, they're involved with a lot of players at Tennessee and Georgia and Alabama and a lot of big schools that are probably listening to your podcast are, are going to be following. So um, it's a chance to, to get another perspective on, on – you know, where, where some of those players may be leaning. Absolutely. And please, I mean, if you don't want Daniel Hill, we're like, we're looking for that Peyton Lewis, Daniel Hill combination in this class. So if you want to, you want to cool off there, that, I mean, that I would be okay with it, Tony. I would be okay with it. <laughs> yeah. Tennessee won the battle with Lewis and South Carolina needs to win the battle with Hill because 
Uh, that, like I said, running back is is a big question mark, and they need to shore that up for the future. There you go. Tony, thank you as always for making the time, and uh, we'll have to check back in again soon. Sounds great. Look forward to it. Thanks for having me on. Nicely done, nephew. Chase Thomas Podcast. Hell yeah. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear, and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.